0: Seventh book of the Bible, that's where we're at today. And if you've been with us long enough, you know we've been moving through this story of God throughout His Word, it is His Word. And there's all these cool stories and all these cool people, but we're trying to see what God what we can learn about God from the lives of these people. And what he's trying to tell us about himself by including these things, we've moved from before creation and who God was through creation and pivotal moment in all of history where Adam and Eve choose rebellion and choose sin over uh, obedience to God. And as a result, sin enters the world. And from that very moment forward, God promises salvation through a child, through a a seed of woman, uh, a woman who's going to bear a son and... The rest of the book as we move through is, is working its way towards that, fulfilling that promise. Uh, we've looked at how the flood came, but God carried that promise through Noah. We looked at how God aimed that promise at Abraham and Abraham had children and God created an entire nation out of Abraham. Uh, that nation is called Israel. As we know, God promised Israel to be, uh, uh to have some land and a place. Though they were enslaved in Egypt, God sent Moses to get them out of Egypt and bring them to this land of promise along the way. He gave them his law. He gave them his word um, and spoke to them in that sense. And then Joshua was the one who led them across the, uh, the Jordan River into the promised land. And they faced battles and they faced wars because the land was inhabited at the time. And they were charged with... Uh, conquering the land, but instead they compromised, and in the compromise it caused all kinds of oppression and um, enemies to be leading them away and all that kind of thing. And so God raises up these deliverers called judges. Now, that was a fast recap. If you want, you can do one of two things. You can go online and watch it all and catch it all up, or you can just go back to Genesis and read whichever way you want to do it. It's in your Bible. That's why the Bible matters. But anyway... Alright, so this week though, we're in Judges chapter, or in Judges, we're going to be in chapter 6. And the title that we got here is In the Face of Doubt. If you grew up in church like I did, um, and I got way away from it for a long time. But when I was a kid, I grew up in, in church. And um, I like you likely associate, if you did like I do, doubt with Thomas. Uh, doubting Thomas, that's even what he's known as. But Thomas has got nothing on Gideon. And the irony is Gideon is kind of remembered in history as this great warrior. Uh, both of them had doubts. And today we're going to look at Gideon. But I want to note for you up front that Gideon is not the warrior. God is the warrior. Okay? God is the warrior. You're going to see that. And just for the record, by the way, Thomas became the first person to officially kneel and call Jesus my God. Uh, and, in fact, Thomas was the disciple that was sent to India, land of millions of gods, to testify to who Jesus was and died there for his faith, brutally. So I don't think doubter is the best word for Thomas. But that, anyway, that's that's another sermon. So Judges chapter 6, I'll read a little bit, and then we'll get into it. I'm going to start in verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Orpah, which belonged to Joash, the abbot, Abbey Ezraite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord. The Lord's with us. Why then has all this happened to us? And where then, or where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian, did not I send you? Let me pray. Lord, your word is awesome. Uh, I thank you for, as always, the privilege of having it. I don't mean as a pastor, I mean as a believer. Thank you that you, you entrust it to us. It's not just that we get to read your Bible, it's you've entrusted it to us. Every time we hold it, Lord, we got to remember there's blood on it. There's somebody, somebody bled to put it in my hand. Somebody somewhere in history has bled to put it in my hand. And Lord, I'm always reminded, especially looking at the the prayer time today, that there are people that are physically bleeding today to put it in the hands of other people. There are people that are bleeding to hold it. And I pray we never take that for granted. It's your word. I don't ever want to change any of it. I just want to learn from it. Show us who you are through that. Not through me. Let me ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, I've flown over uh, a, a, a lot of times. I've flown a lot of times. I don't even know how many times I've flown a lot of times. But I've been all around America. I've been over, overseas. The majority of those flights have been mission-related flights. And a lot of them have been into dangerous places, very dangerous places in some cases. Uh, to this day, I can't really sleep on a plane. I don't know if any of y'all can, but I, I just can't do it. In the beginning, it was more because of the pure logic of tons of steel 30,000 feet in the air. You know, that, that, that alone kept me away. Now it's more so I just can't get comfortable. Um, but kind of oddly enough, it was never about the danger that was ahead. If I was on one of these mission trips to a dangerous place, it never was really about that. I remember coming back from Ukraine one time, flying over the ocean on a German airline, and uh, I was with a buddy who was much older than me, and uh, we were, And he's been on many, many mission trips. And we were in the very back of this plane, and it was a huge plane. So if you've ever been on one of those, you're literally like looking up. It's really kind of unnerving. If you're in the very back, you feel like you're sitting down a hole just because the way it flies. So we're sitting there and we begin to hit this like significant turbulence and in the back you really feel it because it's skipping on it. So we're, we're bouncing and I am singing every hymn I know in my heart. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm in, I'm in a panic and I look beside me and Jim is his name and here's Jim with his tray table down, his Bible open, which is the way he did everything and his head down like this, bouncing, sound asleep. Yeah, his head is literally bouncing up and down, and he's sound asleep. I'm about to throw up. I'm like, how are you even doing this? Jesus had a similar moment in a boat with his disciples where there was a storm, and he was sound asleep. And they're like, how are you sleeping? Well, the key to that kind of peace is knowing that the mission is handed to you from God. That's the key to getting there. For me, I was doubting everything because safety suddenly came into question for Jim. Like Christ, the safety was never in doubt because the mission was from God. Uh, and it's easy to say, but sometimes that's hard to do. And J- listen, Jim and I are both Christians. We, we were both following God. However, my doubt was causing my experience to stretch my faith while his faith provided peace to his experience. Today uh, we're going to look at Gideon, and uh, he was someone that was obedient to the mission but constantly wrestled with that doubt. So point to remember, I always give you one. It's on the sheet, the note sheet back there. You can take it with you, but it's an easy point to remember. When we follow Christ, there will be doubts. I could just say period, but that's just when we follow Christ, there will be doubts. But we can expect that it will use us for his kingdom in spite of them if we continue to seek him and not our own agenda. Okay? no, it's mouthful. It's on the sheet back there. So verse 11. Let's go back through it really quickly. uh, And we're going to read more. So you're going to need a Bible. I'm not joking. There's there's going to be... We're going to read through this. Verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth, that's a tree, at uh, Orpah, which belonged to Joash the Abbeezerite, while his son... Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Now Israel had rebelled again against God and been overrun by this country of Midia. Uh, and the Midianites had, it says, occupied them like locusts. What do locusts do? Swarm and eat. Take everything. So these guys were taking everything. And as a result, he's beating wheat in a wine press. What do you beat in a wine press? Grapes, right? Not, not, not wheat. He's hiding. In order because he knows if he beats it in a normal fashion that it'll be stolen from him. So that's how bad things are. Verse twelve. An angel of the Lord appeared. What does appeared mean? Not funny, it just means he saw him. Like he saw him. So whoever this is, yeah, he sees him. Appeared to him and said, The Lord. That word Lord is the same word we sung about today, Yahweh or Jehovah, is the proper name of God. When it's all caps in your Bible, it is his proper name. So this is not just saying a ruler. This is saying Jehovah, Yahweh, is with you. This is what the angel saying. Jehovah, Yahweh, is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord. Now he uses a different word. See, it's not all caps. Adonai is what it means. It means ruler or Lord or a person of honor. Please, my Lord, if Jehovah, Yahweh, is with us. Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Saying, did not Jehovah Yahweh bring us out of Egypt? Gideon doesn't recognize this person, first of all. We already know because we've been reading that the angel of the Lord is the presence of God in some fashion. You're going to see that plain as day in a second. So he doesn't recognize that, first of all. And second of all, he doesn't realize that the angel is speaking directly to Gideon about the moment. He didn't say you, plural. He said he's... The Lord is with you, Gideon. What does that mean? Like, I'm standing here. He's talking about the moment at hand. And then Gideon says, If God is with us, why is this happening to us? Man, what a pure question. An honest question. You ever ask that one? We all feel that way at some time, I guarantee you. And if you don't, you're probably lying. Have you ever been honest enough to ask it? Feel like it's wrong to ask it? Have you ever asked God? If God's with us, why is all this happening to us? If God, if God loves me, why is nothing working out? Uh, look at verse 13. Joshua, Joshua 6 verse 13. But now the Lord Jehovah Yahweh has forsaken us and given us Into the hands of the Midianites. That's what we typically do, right? When things get tough or things get rough or things are extended period of time. And sometimes we go through some drama that lasts a long time. And we go through some hurt that lasts a long time. And we feel like we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we beg and we pray and we beg and we pray and nothing changes. And we get tempted to start thinking or maybe we even do to think that, well, God may love me, but he's moved on. He sure isn't listening to me anymore. Sometimes we forget that sin's what got us in, the, in there in the first place. It may not even be our sin directly, it just might be sin that we're involved in in some way, shape, or form. Gets us there in the first place. But either way, no matter how we're there, we got to remember God will, if you belong to Him, if you're a child, Old Testament, New Testament, don't matter, God never forsakes His children. Never. Discipline, sure. Forsake, never. Never happens. Look at verse 14. And the Lord Jehovah Yahweh turned to him and said, Go in this might, that's like boldness and strength of yours, and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? What a powerful statement that is. I'll tell you what. Go take your strength and your boldness and save Israel. I'll be like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Does he have superpowers? No. It's because I send you. That is not a small statement. That is a huge statement. Go in your boldness and might and save Israel because I send you. If I send you, it changes everything. That's the way God's power works in us, right? He uses us with our ordinary abilities to accomplish extraordinary things. He, he uses us with our ordinary abilities to accomplish extraordinary things. So what should that then tell us about Matthew 28, 19? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It's the same thing. Did I not send you? Same thing. Look at verse 15. And he said to him, Please, Lord, or Adonai, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's spouse. Weakest and least. If God chooses this person, the weakest and the least, who then gets the glory from what happens? You know what I'm saying? God. And the Lord Jehovah Yahweh said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall Strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. So, okay, well, I hear you, bro. Prove it. Prove, prove who I'm talking to here. Key to facing doubt, by the way, here, he's actually taking a pretty good path. Key to facing doubt here is not saying, Am I powerful enough to do that? Physically, I've been working out. Am I strong enough? Spiritually, have I been on my knees enough? Like, am I am I strong? Am I good enough? Like, if I have I not messed up enough? I mean, I've been I've been. I haven't sinned in a while. Like, am I am I good enough to do this? Am I strong enough? Have I been faithful enough? Is it really my responsibility? Because if it is, I mean, I'll own it. But is it really? Do I have to do it alone? Is it just me? Do I have to do it by myself? Can I get coached to come help me? Can, you know, what what can I do? The question he's asking is great. The question in doubt is, is it really you speaking? That's a fair question for sure, right? Because if it's him speaking, then what does that mean? That changes everything, right? What should that say for us, right? Look at verse uh, 18. We're going to read through a little bit here. Verse 18. Here's the test or the, uh, uh, the sign he's asking to see. Verse 18. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you, or offering, you could say. And he says, I'll stay till you return. So Gideon, so he sits in the wine press. Gideon goes home and he prepares a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. This is very similar to what Abraham offered when this same person, the angel of the Lord, came by Abraham's house in Genesis or his tent in Genesis 18. But in verse 20, and the angel, now look at this. Watch this as we go through. The angel of God here said to him, it's the same person, just a different word for it. Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And Gideon did so. Verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand. So if he has a hand and a staff, this is clearly a person it's the angel of the Lord, but it's not like this glowing force, uh, you know, spirit, spirit ghost thing. It's appearing as a person. He's appearing in a person. And he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. Now, that's amazing, but take into account that the rock consumes, first of all, the rock itself catches on fire. Then it consumes wet meat. That's soaked in broth. He had to pour it all over the rock. So the rock is soaking wet. Everything on it is soaking wet. And the rock bursts into flames. Flaming rock should send your brain back to Mount Sinai. And the top of the mountain that burned the rocks themselves that burned. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Just disappeared. Verse 22. Then Gideon perceived. That's a powerful word. That he was the, you under underline. That's what he's saying. Then he perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, not just an angel, not just a prophet, not just, but he was this person. And Gideon said, "Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face." According to Moses, if you see God face to face, you die. And that's exactly what he thinks. But God responds. Now, as God's speaking from heaven, I don't know how this is working, but the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So clearly, this is an encounter with God that he's had. And he doesn't fully realize it until he's gone. So Gideon then goes, and, and I'm going to speed through the story, but Gideon, God tells Gideon to go tear down the idols that are in the center of the town. You can read this stuff on your own. There's cool stuff in here. Uh, but it says in verse 27 of chapter 6 that Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But, what does it say? Because he was too afraid of his family and the men of his town to do it by day, he did it by night. Even after all of that, He's still afraid. Then later, in verse 33, the armies of the enemy come together. Now all the Midianites, they they bond up with the Amalekites. And the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. I like the way this is worded. You'll see this with Samson next week when Josh is preaching. But in verse 34 it says, But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. In Samson it says it rushes upon him. But it's a different time. It's, it's before the cross. With us, the Spirit indwells us because of the cross. That's what Paul wrote. That's what Peter wrote. That's what Christ said. Um, but in this time period, God's Spirit rushes on people to to empower them to do amazing things. I like the word clothed. That's a cool way to look. I'm not going to expand on it. Just picture it. The Spirit of the Lord clothed to Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet. And the Abiezrites... We're called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh. And they too were called out. So we're building the two armies, right? Gathering up the people of Israel to face this uh, conglomerate of Midianites, Amalekites, and people from the east. Then, verse 36, Gideon said to God. What's the first word there? If. If you will save us. If you will save Israel by my hand. As you have said. Just think about that. If you will do as you have said. Behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, but it's dry all the way around, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you've said. And it was so. That happened. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then... Gideon said to God, don't, don't be mad, but let me just once more. Please let me test you just once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only on the ground there was uh, dew. So again, is he wrong here? Is this sin? I believe it can lead there for sure. And the fleece is not a model I've I've seen that too many times in in church talk. The fleece is not a model to to follow. But doubting and uncertainty is definitely something that's common to to all of us. And in some situations, it can even push us to grow closer to God because we seek to find evidence for our lack of faith. So it can be a good thing. But it also doesn't mean it's necessary or we should welcome it. You don't have to cut yourself to find out you bleed. You know what I mean? You you don't have to cut yourself to find out you bleed. And likewise, you don't have to doubt to prove you have faith. Oz Guinness wrote an awesome book, and you guys can find it. But it's a fantastic book called God in the Dark. And he talks about the difference between doubt and disbelief, which is really great. He says that disbelief, I'm not quoting him, but the point in the book is that disbelief means it's settled. I do not believe this. It's settled. I don't believe it. Doubt takes a posture of believing it, but finding reason for concern in taking that posture. Like, it's it's evidence, uh, or it's seeking evidence to su- uh, support the foundation you're already standing on. So I'm already standing on the foundation, but I'm seeking evidence to believe in why what I'm standing on. But I've already stepped on it, and I'm already standing on it. That would be doubt, and sometimes the English mixes the words in the Bible, but there's a difference between doubting and decided disbelief. For instance, Mark chapter 9, verse 22. You don't have to turn there. You can note it. But there's a father of a demon-possessed boy who's speaking to Jesus, and he tells Jesus that this demon has often cast his son into fire and into water to kill him, destroy him. But if you, Jesus, can do anything, have compassion on us and help us, and Jesus said to him, if you can, If you can, he's saying all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That guy is standing on the foundation, but he's struggling with it. That is not disbelief. That's saying, I believe, but I'm having a hard time, so please help me believe. Please help me with this. I think that's fair. And that's what Gideon's saying here. Uh, But the sad thing about Gideon and the fleece here is what made him doubt was not if God was speaking like before. Before it was, is God speaking? Here, it's not, is God speaking? It's, are you going to do what you said you're going to do? That's getting dangerous. But before we bash Gideon on this, how much of what God has said do we actually know? How much of his word have you actually read? How much of it actually matters in our lives? You know, how much of his word do we trust? Do we stand on? I can answer that, or you can answer it, in a simple way by just evaluating your life. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? You know, what are your plans for the future? How much of your life is spent sharing the gospel How much is spent making disciples? How much is spent supporting your church and your church family? Not just financially, I just mean being part of it. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, like he said. What is it you think God's going to care about the most? Let's be honest. What do you think, When you die and you, you don't sit down and watch a movie of your life, you just sit down with Christ. At that point, what do you think he's going to care about the most? What do you think is going to be biggest for him For him in that moment? Will it be your job? How many hours you worked? Is it going to be your kids' sports achievements? Is it going to be your savings and investment planning? You know, is it going to be your success in school? Is it going to be how many friends you made? Is it going to be the causes that you stood for? You know? Is it going to be how much you gave to charity? What he will care about most? If you don't know that, you need to get in his word. Because he's made it crystal clear in his word what he's going to care about most. The question is, like Gideon, maybe you're stuck asking, yeah, but is it really you speaking? And if it is really you, are you really going to do this? I mean, God, you're asking a lot here. You're asking for everything. I don't have time for this. You're asking for more than I got time to give. You're asking me to do more than You're you're asking me to risk my life here, God, let's be honest. This is a big deal. I'm going to need more affirmation. I'm going to need more than just, you know, you saying it. I mean, you're asking me to risk my life on this one. You're putting my family in jeopardy on this one, God. You're taking food off the plate, God. I'm going to need more more evidence than that. But Gideon goes and God takes Gideon's army from over 30,000 to 300. Why? He gets past it and he goes. And then God cuts his army from over 30,000 to 300. Why? Look in Judges chapter 7. We're finish up here. The Lord said to Gideon in verse 2. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Lest What? Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. He's saying, no, you're not going to get glory for this. I am. It's going to be mind-blowing because I'm going to get glory, not you. And as a result, in verse 9, that same night, the Lord says to Gideon, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've given it into your hand. But, this is God talking, but if you're afraid to go ahead and go down, then go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. And you'll hear, you'll overhear a conversation, and it tells you that that's exactly what Gideon did. And Gideon overhears the conversation between a couple of enemy soldiers where one of them is saying he had a dream that Gideon's army destroyed them. So how about God, again, giving Gideon opportunity and courage here? And look how Gideon responds after he hears this dream. Look in verse 15. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and he said, Get up, arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian in your hand. Now, why did overhearing the dream, why did overhearing the dream suddenly give him such courage when God's word repeatedly did not? And we can ask ourselves the same question, can't we? You hold his word right here. You hold his word, right? You either believe that or you don't. If you don't believe it, that's fine. We can talk about that. But if you claim it's God's word and you believe it's God's word, then you're holding his word in your hand right here. But we do the same thing. We always want something more. We want a sign. We want a dream. We want a vision. We want something to occur. We want a miracle. But he got his word. How amazing, though, is God to be patient with this man in the face of all of his doubts? Still executing his plan through Gideon. I believe believe that's because Gideon never sought his own glory here. I believe that God's patiently working through this man because Gideon always sought to know the Lord better and never chased after his own glory in this. He was just seeking to overcome his own doubts. So what happens? Well, God causes the enemy to turn on themselves, fight themselves. And Israel pretty much only has to march, march in and clean up. And as a result, Israel tries to make Gideon king. Look at verse, uh, look at chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also. Like, let's let your heritage be our first kings. For you've saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I love this, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. At no point does Gideon take glory for anything that he's done here. And I believe that's why God endured all his doubt. It shows you where his heart really was in all of it. And too often we act like Israel here, though. Our eyes are on the hero, missing the fact that he's just a dude full of doubt. Missing the fact that God alone made all this happen. God came to Gideon standing hiding in a wine press. God overcame patiently all of his doubts again and again. God himself defeated their enemies through this guy and in spite of all of his doubts. Yet notice this, Gideon, I love this, Gideon, even with all his doubts, even with all his doubts, Gideon became an example of faith. For generations to come, he's alongside the legends of faith like Abraham and Noah and Moses and Hebrews 11. I'm done here, but in Hebrews 11 verse 32, it says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak. We talked about him last week. He also had doubts. Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets. Who, speaking of Gideon, alongside the rest, through faith. Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. The truth is, when it comes to faith, it's not about how you doubt, it's about how you finish. When it comes to faith, it's not about how you doubt, it's about how you finish. Because the fact is, you're going to doubt. We're all going to doubt. So when you do, ask questions. Ask lots of questions. Seek answers. And if you really must seek something unique from God, if you really must put a fleece out of some kind in order to get a clear answer for Him, first, recognize that you're seeking Him. And second of all, make sure that whatever you're seeking honors Him through His own word. That you can go into His word and affirm whatever comes as a result of what you're trying to do with the fleece, per se. Uh, so what do we do with this? Well, I don't know, man. Maybe you're one of those people that's here today and you've decided in the past that God's not here and God doesn't care and that's settled. Maybe you're a person here today and you're like, you know what? That's the way I've always felt, but something in me just has never been okay with that. Something in me has never been settled with that. Uh, maybe you need to ask him to help your unbelief. Maybe you need to ask Him to help your unbelief. Maybe today you just need to quit fighting it. You need to let go and relax your doubt. Let His Spirit clothe you and speak to your heart. Maybe today you need to sit at the cross a minute. And you need to consider that God climbed on that cross for a sinner like you and me. Mind-blowing as it is, defeated death, the greatest enemy we ever had, so that you can have that same victory. If that's you today, hey, listen, it's time to surrender and give it to him. It's simple. Just tell him. you got to repeat after me or anybody else. You just tell him, I surrender. Like I'm done. I know who I am. I trust you are who you are, and, I, and, I, and I'm tapping out. I'm done. You can have me. I'll go wherever you want. I'll learn from you. I'll follow you. Uh, Just tell him. If you're a believer here already, uh, you know what? It's not about unbelief. You already decided that, right? It's about doubt. And you're already on the foundation of Christ. You're already in a family. So let me ask you this. Are you actually wanting him to direct your path? Just be honest. Are you actually wanting him to direct your path? If you guys will stand up with me, we're going to finish up here. With another song but. Um, do you expect him to lead you? Do you expect him to? You know. How, how do you verify that it's him talking? I think that's one of the things we make the biggest mess of as Christians. How do we verify that it's him talking? What's the tool you use? To determine this is from God and not just from my own mind or my own desire. Well. Well. The two strongest things you have to answer that question is the word of God and other believers. If you're not in the word of God, your odds of knowing it's from him are pretty slim. If you are in the word of God, but you're not around other believers, you're still in a pretty slim scenario. God uses both to affirm and direct your path. Let me pray. God, you're amazing. Thank you again for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to be together. Um, Lord, I pray that you help us all with doubt. I know we all deal with it. Um, help us not to be ashamed, not not to welcome it or chase after it, but also not to be ashamed when we do doubt. Help us be honest with ourselves and with you and with others, and and ask others, ask someone to disciple us, Lord, to help us learn to know you and to hear your voice. That's what discipleship's about, Lord. And if we do know you and we do follow you and we're we're doing our best to hear from you, Lord, then help us invest in others who may need that. Lord, thank you for the privilege again of being entrusted with your word. Not me, all of us. And uh, I ask these things through your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.